You're listening to the 123 show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Wednesday afternoon. Let's turn to our very first topic and guests of today. In the, in the next 15 minutes or so, we're talking about stroke and its risk factors. Now, according to the Hong Kong Stroke Association, stroke is the fourth leading cause of death in Hong Kong. About 68 people each day suffer a new or recurrent stroke. Now, the consequences can be really serious, including paralysis, unconsciousness, and even death. And to talk about ways we can treat and hopefully help prevent a stroke, we're joined by Dr. Derek Wong, who's a specialist in neurosurgery. Welcome on the program, Dr. Wong. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We are live this afternoon on Facebook as well. So for our listeners, do join us there. Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3. You'll be able to see and hear Dr. Wong. And feel free to comment if you have any questions or any sharing uh, you'd like to to share this afternoon. Um, So perhaps let's talk very generally. What exactly is a stroke, Dr. Wong? Um, In short, uh, a stroke really means um, a disturbance to the blood flow to the brain. So it can be either a blockade of the blood vessel that's causing this inadequate blood flow to certain part of the brain, or there's some bleeding in the brain. Bleeding, in a sense, is the rupture of the blood vessels. So the blood clot there not only would disturb the blood vessel from having blood flow to the designated area, but also the clot inside the brain would cause increase in pressure. And that may as well, in return, become a, a increase in pressure inside, and then the heart is not uh, having enough uh, pressure to pump up the blood to the other part of the brain. So it can be either way. So we have two kinds of stroke, ischemic, either, uh, that means blockade of the blood vessel, or hemorrhagic, that means bleeding. And the treatments presumably would be very different for, for the two. Perhaps let's start with ischemic uh, uh, stroke. Uh, what's the treatment for that? Well, they are very different. That's why I always advocate people, if you have any um, suspected stroke symptoms, don't try to take out some of the drugs by yourself and take the medications. Because always the first thing is, if we suspect a stroke when we see the patient at the clinic, we go for a CT scan, which helps us to di- di- differentiate whether it's an ischemic stroke or hemorrhagic stroke. If it's ischemic stroke, so uh, we will try to see if it's possible to open up the blood vessel again. In that uh, case, we will try to do some uh, so-called uh, thrombolytic therapy which he says is just to give some medication, trying to dissolve the blood clot that's blocking the blood vessel. But that has a very strict time limit. We are limiting to four and a half hours. So if the patient has symptom onset, and then we have to take the patient to the hospital, do the scan and stuff, and make sure that uh, he or she is stable enough to afford uh, to have the medication, we have to be acting very quickly. Uh, nowadays, we have a different kind of uh, uh, treatment for this kind of a uh, ischemic stroke. Uh, if we think that the, the, the blood vessel that is involved is a rather large one, we're still talking about a few millimeters kind of blood vessel, but it's a major one that we may be able to do a surgery. It's not a, like a craniotomy, it's not like open up the brain, it's, not, it's a, a minimally invasive. We put in a tiny, tiny catheter, which is essentially a plastic tube, silicone tube, through the groin area, all the way through a blood vessel, and try to take the clot out from the uh, vessel in the brain. So we take out the clot, we kind of open up the vessel again. In that sense, try to save the brain from ischemia, from, from infarct, from the stroke. Uh, but all that have a time limit. But uh, it's not important about the time limit after all. It's more important that we 
open up the vessel as soon as possible. Because there have been so many studies saying that the earlier the treatment is, the better the outcome will be. Every minute, in a sense, we lost nearly 2 million neurons. 2 million brain cells die within a minute, every minute, if the blood vessel is blocked. So if we open it up earlier, so the outcome will be better. And these neurons, these cells don't get regenerated, so to speak. Wow. So that's why time is of the essence. That's why we often hear when you're feeling the symptoms of stroke, get to the hospital and and get the treatment. So that's for ischemic um, stroke. What about for hemorrhagic stroke? What's that? Is that the bleeding inside the brain? For hemorrhagic stroke, it's a very different kind of story. We have to assess the patient to make sure that um, he or she is very stable in terms of blood pressure, in terms of uh, the breathing, and also we have to monitor if he or she has any symptoms of increased intracranial pressure, which in a sense means the pressure pressure inside the skull. If it gets too high, then as I mentioned before, the uh, other part of the circulation to the brain may be affected. So more brain cells may be affected other than the bleeding itself. So all these uh, measures trying to stabilize the patient uh, we can give medication to control the um, pressure inside. As well, we can actually uh, do a surgery to drain out some of the fluid or even to take out the clot. But the surgery is not always essential. It's not always that we see a blood clot, we go and take it out. It's when the blood clot gets so big that it starts to build up pressure, then we have to consider a surgery to take it out. Otherwise, a small blood clot usually will resolve by itself in days or in weeks. So uh, that is not always a surgical disease, but we have to make sure it's stable. If the blood pressure is too high, the patient is not stable, even the blood clot itself can grow bigger in uh, in hours or in in days. So we have to do a lot of things to make sure that the patient is stable. Yeah. Dr. Wong, I read somewhere that within the case of an ischemic stroke, you kind of need to give um, a blood thinner to sort of thin out the blood clot a a little bit. But with the other type of stroke, the hemorrhagic stroke, if you give them the blood thinning uh, medication, they can actually bleed out. So so it's very sort of, um, you have to identify exactly which stroke you're having. Exactly. That's what I mentioned. Don't take medication before you have a proper scanning. Because if we don't do a scan, we cannot be 100% sure which kind of stroke that is. And some of the medications like blood thinner, aspirin, or even some herbal medications can actually induce bleeding. So it will make things worse if there's already some bleeding inside the brain. Are there any, t- it sounds like you need to have a CT scan to really differentiate which stroke you're having. And because time is of the essence, you need to treat it so quickly. Are there ways, yeah. um, I don't know, you know, like COVID tests, you can very quickly tell whether you're, po- is there a test out there that can tell you exactly which type of stroke you're having? The scan, the CT scan actually is very quick. Okay. It's even quicker than doing a PCR test for COVID-19, honestly. <laughs> okay. As long as you go to the hospital then it should be very available. Nowadays, almost every hospital should have a CT scan right away. And to do a scan of the brain, it would take two or three minutes. It's very easy and simple. That's why we always um, talk about two different kinds of imaging. One is CT, the CAT scan. The other one is the MRI. MRI is so much better for the brain in terms of the, the little add radiation, uh, the, the much better illustration of the anatomy. But when we talk about acute stroke, sometimes we think that the CAT scan has its benefit because it's so much quicker and tells us 
immediately whether there's any bleeding. So uh, when time is so essential, uh, we, we say the slogan is time is brain. So we don't want to waste time to do fa uh, some uh, fascinating, uh, some uh, uh, very complicated kind of a procedure. We want a very quick scan to make sure we know what to do for the patient. Dr. Wong, what are some of the symptoms of a stroke? Well, stroke uh, symptoms can be very um, different uh, depending on which area is affected, how big the area is being affected. It can be simple as some dizziness, uh, some headache. Sometimes the headache can be very severe if it's a hemorrhagic one, if it's bleeding. Or some people can have uh, half of parts of the body not moving, uh, maybe affecting the speech, cannot talk or cannot understand what other people is talking. Can be when the patient is um, actually the power is okay, but then the movement is not coordinated. Well, it really depends. Uh, for some of them, rather minor stroke, actually the patient may not even have any significant symptoms at all. Well, they may feel just a bit tired. So it's difficult to say. But we have a slogan for some very, uh, rather severe stroke. It's called FAST, F-A-S-T. That's just to remind people, well, in terms of having a stroke, we need to act fast. F stands for face. It's really uh, about facial asymmetry. When the face is not symmetrical, when you smile, only half of the face is moving. So that is a, a sign of stroke. Uh, a uh, stands for... Um, um, Action. Sorry, I, I think A stands for arms, actually. Well, oh, oh. you can't remind people when, when you're not moving well for the arms. On one side, especially, that may as well be a sign of stroke. S will be towards speech. Oh, yeah. So, when talking is ha having a problem, then it's a sign. And the last one, T, actually stands for time. Because we say, whenever you have these severe stroke symptoms, time is essential. You have to call for help immediately. So, it kind of synchronizing for FAST to remind people. We have a Chinese version as well, Tam Siu Yong Beng. It's also the same. Just remind people when you have symptoms, go quickly to find treatment. Yeah, because like you said, it varies from person to person because you've, you you hear stories where somebody goes for a scan and then they say, oh, you've actually had a stroke, but they don't feel it or nothing really yeah. happens to, to them. Very yeah. lucky. But for, for, you know, a lot of people, for some people, it's, it has it has very serious consequences. Yeah. Um, so yeah. how do, so so how come some people can't identify these symptoms? Is it because they're not detectable or they don't know the fast that the synonym that well uh, usually if people have very severe symptoms they know well they may not know that they have a stroke so sometimes the treatment may be delayed like i have a patient having weakness on one side obviously she knows there's something wrong but instead of going to hospital she went home and tried to say well maybe i take a sleep take a nap and then i'll get better well that three hour nap actually delayed all the treatment when she woke up well i'm still weak she went to hospital and realize it's really a stroke. But at the, by the time, the only treatment is to prevent another stroke. Wow. Nothing much we can do about that when it's presented late. For the other people, maybe more lucky that the affected area is not having a major uh, effect on the body. We have a, a brain having so, so many neurons, you know. Many people will tell you, well, we are just using 10% of the brain power. Well, in fact, that's not really true in a way, because all the brain cells kind of do things together to make us smart. 
Well, but sometimes if certain part is affected, the symptoms may not be very obvious. And maybe sometimes the stroke is only affecting a tiny bit of the brain cells, you may not know. But there's a term called vascular dementia. That is really saying, well, people get dementia symptoms, getting uh, forgetfulness, very slow in response, uh, moving uh, rather clumsy. Well, all this is just because he or she has having repeated minor stroke. Well, he or she may not know that there's uh, some symptoms whenever they have a stroke, but because the affected area is so small, but then repeatedly when they have a stroke, the effect accumulates and people will eventually having symptoms. So uh, in a way, even minor symptoms, sometimes we go for an MRI. Because uh, MRI we can tell us much better how, how whether there's uh, any small small area of infarct uh, that we can pick up, and then we can go through the history of the patient to find out all the risk factors, try to control them, and try to prevent further decline of the situation. So um, uh, we talk about stroke. We are talking about a wide patch, uh, spectrum of different diseases, different severity of the disease. So uh, some of them are getting more, a little bit more lucky. Some of them who have a major stroke. I had no idea you can have a series of minor strokes that can lead to something so catastrophic. Um, we are live yes. this afternoon with Dr. Derek Wong, who's a specialist in neurosurgery. Uh, uh, on Facebook, Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3. Ollie on the Facebook page uh, mentioned, says, you mentioned about a surgery for somebody having an ischemic stroke. Is this the kind of treatment available everywhere or only in some kind of specialist places? Well, uh, it's a rather new uh, surgery. It's uh, been um, having a lot of uh, study in recent years, and then uh, we are all developing it. Uh, right now, uh, in Hong Kong, uh, only a few uh, hospital, uh, HA hospitals can provide this kind of service. But uh, hopefully, eventually, we can have more hospitals that can provide this kind of surgery. Right now, uh, if uh, during daytime, uh, during office hours, um, they should, most of the uh, major hospitals in Hong Kong should be able to provide a surgery. But if the stroke comes at night, well, uh, only one or two can actually provide 24 7 uh, surgeries. In private hospitals, more of, most of them would have the equipment, but you need uh, people who know how to do it. So uh, at times, we really have to, well, for you to ask if you happen to be unfortunately having someone around you having a, a major stroke, when you go to the hospital, well, you, you need to ask for them to see whether it's available because sometimes well, um, if they are not available, they, they try to do some other things, but then forgetting, well, maybe maybe they can actually transfer you to another hospital to get a treatment. So uh, it's important for you to know. But yeah, yeah we, we're having more and more hospitals to, to provide that service. Um, but there are available in some HA hospitals, the big ones. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So if, if you are experiencing a stroke or, or know somebody who's experienced stroke, get to the biggest hospital in, in Hong Kong. I think, I think that's the one we're referring to. Um, Dr. Wong, so, you know, what should we do if we know somebody experiencing symptoms of a stroke? Um, should we move them? Should we keep them awake? I mean, what should we do? Well, um, the only thing you need to do really is to escort them to the hospital as soon as possible. Well, on site, there's very little that you have to do. You just keep them safe, make sure they don't fall, ask them not to walk. There's some, especially elderly, they think, well, I'm just having minor, I'm minor problem. I'll go for, go for I'll walk it off. Okay. They just walk around and then they fall. Uh, so try to, try not to move them, actually. 
Yeah, usually they would be between us. Okay, try not to move them and really just get to the hospital as as soon as possible. Um, So what are some of the risk factors? Um, I I read smoking is a big one. Yes. Actually, there's quite a lot. We talk about risk factors. We don't talk about the cause of uh, stroke because there's so many things that can actually contribute to increased risk to have a stroke. There's none, no, not single one, that is so-called a direct cause to have a stroke. Everyone can have a stroke, but we are at different risk level. If you are a smoker, you have diabetics, you have hypertension, you have hyperlipidemia, raised in cholesterol, those are all risk factors. So you have a much higher risk of stroke compared to the people who don't have these diseases and do not smoke. So I always advocate people, well, to prevent a stroke, you really have to act young. When you are young, you are active, you are controlling your diet. So the chance of you having all those metabolic diseases like hypertension, uh, raised cholesterol, diabetics, are much lower. So you try to prevent all those diseases in order to prevent a stroke. Of course, try to not try not to smoke at all. And in fact, talking about ischemic stroke especially, we have almost 30% of those strokes are related to the heart. So keep a check on the heart is also important. Well, we have one condition we call a paroxysmal atrial fibrillation. It's just a, sometimes it goes on and off. You feel the heart is like pounding, especially pounding irregularly. Sometimes it's faster and then it becomes shorter. You may feel a little bit chest tightness. Those can be a very important sign of you having a paroxysmal atrial fibrillation. So the heart is not pumping right. And then there may be blood clot forming and cause a stroke. In fact, we talk about those risk factors. Well, some of them will contribute to two times or three times higher risk of stroke. But talking about paracetamol AF, we are talking about five times risk. So uh, it's a major risk factor. That's why some people wear some watch or some other things that can actually monitor your heart rate. Oh, yeah. Those have too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what happens for, for, for those? I mean, there are varying outcomes of a stroke, but um, we read out earlier paralysis could be one. What are some of the, the, the more damaging outcomes of a stroke? Well, uh, in terms of damaging, we talk about how um, how the stroke actually affects one's life, uh, how, how he or she can actually um, uh, perform some of the self-caring actions or whether it disturbs her from uh, he or she to go back to the community, to work, so and so forth. So every kind of symptoms can actually be very detrimental. You talk about someone who is not able to move part of their body, of course, that would cause problems with uh, clothing, bathing, going out, or if for an athlete, of course, that may be damaging to the career. But there are a lot of different rehabilitation, different gadgets. They can help them get through all those things. Uh, the, the important point is we try to minimize the disability and try to maximize the rehab potential, try to maximize what one person can do. So uh, there are a lot of things that we can do. Uh, for people who are not moving part of the body, physical therapy, of course, can help to try to regain the strength. Also, the occupational therapist, they will try to help the pa- patients to... Uh, regain the capacity to do certain things by having different kind of gadgets. For someone who cannot talk well, cannot speak well, the speech therapy helps them to do some training to try to get them back to speaking. But as well, uh, there may be other gadgets like computers or even a notebook, notepads, try to help them to communicate with other people much better. Um, for people who are having um, problems with um, eating, 
quite a lot of stroke people, you, you realize that they have a tube inside the nose trying to feed them. Well, in fact, if you have better speech therapy, you can try to train all the muscles and throat, try to get them to eat again. So there are a lot of training that we can do. But the bottom line is we need a group of people to help. Those are people working in the rehabilitation, the patient himself, and the family around them to support him. Because the other, besides all this rehab, the family has to know a lot how to take care of him, how to encourage him, and post-stroke depression is one major point that we have often forgotten, and we often ignore them, and then the patient gets depressed, they don't have motivation to rehab, in a way also drag the family along, because it's difficult to bring up a person who have a lot of emotion, a lot of negative thoughts, when they can actually improve much better after the stroke. So it's not just one thing, it's not, not just one expert, they have many things to have to take care of. Yeah, well said, Dr. Wong, because it's true. I think before the stroke, maybe the person has a lot of independence, but sometimes they lose that sense of independence and they might feel like they're a burden. But, um, you know, with the proper care and support to the carers and to the stroke patients, they can, you know, live a full life once again. Yeah, yeah. Nowadays, we have so many different things that we can actually overcome a lot of difficulties. But you need to seek for those sometimes. And the people around you can be supportive. So uh, it's important to have a good team to help those patients. Yes, absolutely. Well, Dr. Derek Wong, thank you so much for your time this afternoon, answering so many great questions. And, and um, one, one last question from Namisha on Facebook says, thanks, a very informative session. I have a question. Can a patient recover fully after a stroke um, as a family member? How best uh, we can support them? That comes from Namisha. Well, in short, you can, possibly, but also depends on how promptly the, the treatment started and the rehabilitation started. So um, it also depends on the severity of the stroke, of course. So uh, being a family member of, uh, of a stroke patient, the best thing you can do is to be there, to be supportive and to listen. Sometimes the stroke patient may just need to ventilate and try not to get, try try to uh, encourage them to, to go through the difficulty, make sure that you are not being dragged down by the patient. They often feel that, well, they are being useless now. They are dragging people around him to, to down to, to help him. But in a sense, it's just a difficult time in life. You guys walk together, walk through it, and then eventually things will get better. Yeah, well said. I know I said last question, but one more question on Facebook. Victoria says, my grandfather died from complications of a huge stroke. My mum is fine so far. Is this something that runs in the family? Thank you. Well, there's some um, family uh, history would contribute to the risk of stroke. But the bottom line is this, the genetic part is playing a rather small role. Uh, the, the lifestyle, the... Um, regular checkup, all those can help to prevent a stroke. So uh, there are things that run in the family, like hypercholesterolemia, the heart rate lipids. Some people run that in the family. The chance, chance of you having a diabetics has some genetic effect, but don't be bothered. Those are rather small. You just have to keep up track with your lifestyle, your body checks, so on and so forth, and find out the risk factors that you can control. Yeah, that's really encouraging to hear. So there are steps that we can take and be responsible for our own health, eat healthily, exercise regularly, and look after ourselves. Meanwhile, thank you so much for your time this afternoon, Dr. Derek Wong, who's a specialist in neurosurgery. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much.